You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to Bad Manners. This is the podcast that takes you inside Britain's stately homes and tells all the tales the guidebooks don't. My name is Tom Horton and I'll be your host. As a comedian, I'm not really bothered about the facts and figures, I just want the juicy stuff. So I'm on a mission to find out the frightening, filthy and downright jaw-dropping stories of these stately homes and the people in them. On today's episode, we're at Annick Castle in Northumberland, home to the Percy family, not the pigs. And it's a place that I know rather intimately. Or should I say, it knows me rather intimately. But more on that debauched story later. Annick Castle dates back to the Norman Conquest and was built to protect the English border. And protected it did. Let me tell you, this place is a fortress. Its defences include two metre thick walls, a seven metre deep moat, two baileys and thick oak gates. It's probably the thickest castle in England. Joining me down the line is Daniel Watkins, the castle's education, learning and engagement officer. And we've got a lot to talk about. We've got vampires, we've got wizards, we've got film sets, we've got dynasties. It's incredible. And Daniel, you've very kindly come to talk about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's just have a little brief history about the castle. When was it built? What happened? It's an old place. It is. It probably goes back further than the castle buildings. There was probably something on the castle spot before there was ever a castle. But we know that by the end of the 10 hundreds, there was a fortification of some kind here because King Malcolm III of Scotland, who is the Malcolm from Shakespeare's play Macbeth, tried to take over it and was killed in the attempt. Ah, nice. Whereabouts was he killed? In the in the, like the front lawn? More or less, yeah. The The current grassy area known as the pastures just north of the castle is where he met his end, uh, apparently with a spear to the face. Uh, the spear Ooh. was containing the keys to the castle. The steward, so goes the story, rode out to meet the king with the keys to the castle on the end of his spear, making it look like a surrender. The king got a little too close to pick up the keys, spear in the face, no more king. And then <laughs> 600 years later, the Duchess of Northumberland put a memorial cross on the spot where Malcolm had been killed. And that's oh. as close as anyone ever got to conquering the castle. Because it's quite a hard castle to uh, to get into, I would imagine. I mean, well, well, I say this. One of my stories is that when my best friend used to live, is it Bailiff Gate? Yes. Uh, just, so owned a B&B there. And one night we got very, very drunk and broke into Annick Castle. Well. Well, now when I say I broke in, we got into the grounds. We The, the sort of the main sort of gate we hopped over. Mm -hmm. We'd done this completely naked as well. 
Right. <laughs> As all good, uh, you know, public school boys do, love getting naked, um, hopped over the spikes and we're running around the grounds. And then we started seeing like flashlights and torches and stuff. And the security had been alerted. And I think they eventually found three naked boys hiding behind the giant chess set, <laughs> which I'm sure you know the giant chess set. Yeah, that's not there anymore, strangely. Is it not? It's been I, contaminated. I'm, I'm afraid not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is supposedly a very, very difficult place to get into. We didn't get very far. We did not no. get very far at all. And they arrested us actually on suspicion of stealing artwork. Oh. That's what they said. Because there's some pretty damn good artwork in Annick Castle. We've got one of the best private art collections in the country, yes. Yeah. So it's very, very well protected. So any prospective streakers out there, I, I, I ask you politely, please don't try anything. Yeah, our, secu- our security will stop you. We, we did argue with the police. Where did you think we were going to be storing the artwork? You can't just <laughs> sort of stick a Rembrandt up your crevice and try and mosey out. Do you have Rembrandt's? Uh, sadly not. We've, we have some of his contemporaries. Uh, Rembrandt himself uh, appears neither on a wall nor in a crevice. Oh. <laughs> Who do you have? List, list, some, of the, list some of the famous, right. famous okay. names. Okay. Art history name drop. Uh, yes, we have uh, eight <laughs> landscapes by Canaletto, three portraits by Titian, a landscape by Turner, several by Anthony van Dyck, a, a Tintoretto or two, frescoes by Sebastiano del Piombo, and so on and so on, and I could go on. Basically, in the 1800s, one of the Dukes of Northumberland had redesigned the rooms of the castle to look like an Italian palace. He needed Italian art to go in his Italian palace. Two brothers called the Camuccinis were selling in Italy. They had a gallery, and they were selling everything in the gallery. The Duke of Northumberland bought the gallery. And it, I believe, still remains one of the largest ever art purchases in a single go ever made by anyone in England. That's amazing. Have you actually had any genuine attempts to steal the artwork Uh, or indeed anything? uh, Not to my knowledge. No, it's like I say, it's all extremely well protected and well looked after and well alarmed, I should say as well, um, in all respects. We've had discoveries and art has left the castle, but in a completely legal fashion. So the most famous example was a painting that was just in one of the private corridors of the castle and the former director of the National Gallery was visiting about 20 years ago and had a look at this painting that supposedly was a copy of a lost painting by Raphael. My second favourite turtle. Yes, he's my first favourite. Is he? Yeah. You like, like the angry one? I like the red. Yeah, yeah. angry and moody, okay. Uh, yeah, my, uh, I could give or take Michelangelo, but Raphael is where it's at. I see, Michelangelo is my favourite. Oh, well, there we go. Party dude, loves his pizza. Oh, they all love pizza. They, they did all love pizza. Yeah. Nobody loves Donatello, Nobody loves Donatello and that we no can one, agree. No one cares about Donatello, absolutely, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, likewise in the art world, it's the <laughs> other three that get talked about. Um, those three names, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, were actually carved into the ceiling of the Castle Library. Really? Not for the Ninja Turtles, for the artists, <laughs> yeah. but we can and pretend. Someone, someone's graffitied splinter across the front door as well. Well, you say that, but we have got taxidermied rats in the same room. Do you? One could be a sensei. It's hard to say. Um, <laughs> anyway, Raphael. Um, so the director of the National Gallery thought that this copy of the lost Raphael was actually the lost Raphael. So at that point... wow. The painting left the castle, went to the National Gallery in London, underwent years of studies, tests, x-rays, and they determined that this supposed copy that had just been hanging out in a castle corridor for 150 years 
was the lost Madonna of the Pinks. And it's now one of the stars of the National Gallery in London. That's unbelievable. So paintings do leave the castle, but for entirely above board reasons. I'm guessing they leave in padded crates too, not crevices. But Annick Castle isn't just famous for art, it's also famous for the arts. The grounds of the castle have been used as locations for multiple films and TV shows over the years. Downton Abbey, Transformers, and a little franchise you may have heard of called Harry Potter. That's right, yeah, their first broomstick lesson in the first film... That takes place in what we call the outer bailey of the castle. A bailey is an area surrounded by castle walls. It's an enclosed space within the grounds. And so Harry and Ron, Hermione, Neville, Malfoy, and the rest of them are all lined up. Madame Hooch teaches them how to fly. Neville goes a little bit haywire, goes flying around our gatehouse, gets caught on a statue, breaks his wrist. Malfoy and Harry go chasing around. It's a big extended sequence in the first film, so... There's people for the past 20 years from all over the world who not only have come to Annick because they've seen those films and they know about the connection, but they instantly recognize this medieval space from a film they've watched. And even you know, when other things have been filmed here, it's those Harry Potter films that have endured and people who grew up watching them now have kids of their own who have grown up watching them and you get multiple generations coming and spotting these places and going, it's the, it's the bit. Yeah, the bit. yeah, absolutely. The bit where they did the bit. Uh, and it's really exciting to see. Well, you were saying um, just before we started recording that you are a part of an, an improv troupe. Yes. And, um, and as I was also part of an improv troupe, and I say this because uh, I was doing a, a show at the Edinburgh Fringe, like you've done many times, and we had in our audience the head of the American Quidditch Society. Wow. And the head of the British Quidditch Society. Yes. Who then, after Edinburgh, they both went down to, they hadn't met before, but their societies both went down to Annick Castle, I think, to have a look around. Then the next year when we did Edinburgh, they came back to our show and they were married. Oh. They got married. The head of the American Society and the head of the British Society. What a lovely story. I hope the ring flew in on a golden snitch down the aisle. I, w- I would hope so as well. Oh, or, or at, at the very owl. least was carried by an owl. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. exactly. A, a hedgehog yeah. owl. But people do actually play Quidditch. Yeah, there, there are real Quidditch World Cups. Uh, I've never taken part in real life Quidditch myself, uh, but it seems to work as a real sport. There's some adaptation. I have seen versions where the golden snitch is a person dressed in a golden costume with tiny wings and you have to chase them around and catch them. Um, yeah, that's exactly what were they, that's what they, how they were telling me that they played. Normally the smallest member of the society just gets dressed and painted in gold and told to run around. Oh, you, you wouldn't join if you thought that was going to happen to you. <laughs> this is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. If Annick Castle was was a house in Hogwarts, what would you say it would be? Because that's got Annick Castle could be quite a Gryffindor vibe. It's got a Gryffindor vibe for the bravery. I think it's probably, historically speaking, more of a Slytherin. Not because it's evil. <laughs> oh, not because it's evil. And if you've seen Cursed Child, you know that not all Slytherins are evil. Um, more the ambition. That's the story of the castle historically. It's the people who've been in charge who have had that ambition and it hasn't always gone well with them. They've had the ambition to be the lords in charge of the border between England and Scotland and they got that power and that power went to their heads a little bit and they rebelled against the king and they were beheaded and they continued to rebel and kept getting beheaded and were dying in battle and wanted to be the kings in the north and they wanted to be the power behind the throne, and they wanted to be their own separate kingdom. And those are very Slytherin-y things, I feel. And if you think the connections to Harry Potter end with the Slytherin-style power grabs, think again, muggles. Annick Castle was home to, wait for it, a wizard. I shit you not, one of the Earls of Northumberland was a legit wizard. He was Henry Percy. It's easy to remember because the first Earl of Northumberland was Henry Percy. Wish I was a wizard. How do you become a wizard anyway? Well, he became a wizard because he ended up very interested in science. And a lot of the science he was interested in that he had books on in his library was indistinguishable from certain forms of magic. So he had books on alchemy. I was going to say alchemy has to crop up at some point. Yeah. He had star charts and did a lot of astrology and astronomy and set up for an astronomer called Thomas Harriet, who discovered sunspots along the same lines as Galileo did in the grounds of his house. He had books on how to read the future using little piles of soil or sand. It's called geomancy. And Geomancy? I hadn't heard of that. Okay. Uh, Alistair Crowley apparently was quite big on geomancy um, much, much later. But you take the little pile of soil or sand and you drop it into something you can read it off and you should be able to find one of 16 patterns in there. And they've all got Latin names like Head of the Dragon or Tail of the Dragon. And this will then read your future. This is a bit like uh, Professor Trewarney and the Tea Leaves. It is a little bit, yeah. It's in the absence of tea, you've got to use what you can, I suppose. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so it starts with that. He starts with his books. He gets really into it. He apparently is associated with a group of like-minded 
Can we call them occultists? I'm going to call them occultists. Like John Dee and young Christopher Marlowe and people like that that were referred to as the School of Night in late, in late Elizabethan England. So he's getting a reputation. He starts to experiment, and there are descriptions of him wearing quaint garments, I think is the description, in his lab with a skeleton holding an hourglass behind him, automatic figures operating, star charts and astrolabes whirring as he pours billowing fumes into various beakers. And when you're doing that sort of thing, you're going to be called a wizard. Yeah, I see. There's purple smoke coming out the chimney. The I would like talking. to think so. Yeah. Yeah. It could just be because he was one of England's first tobacco addicts and that might have been the smoke, but we'll stick with the billowing. The room where the wizard did all this alchemy, is that still that's still part of the castle, obviously? Is that still the alchemy room or what is it now? I've heard rumours and stories of the room where it was supposed to be, but a lot of his life, or at least his adult life, he wasn't at the castle because he was locked up in the Tower of London and he took his lab with him. Right. I was going to say, because obviously my, my, my old house, my old, where I yes, used to live. Yes, so I've heard, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know whereabouts in the Tower of London he was locked up? It was the Martin Tower, which is on one of the corners, and then he yep. took over the Brick Tower next to it, which I believe is currently above the ladies' toilets, but wouldn't have been in 1610. Um, and he took that and turned it into scientific rooms and school rooms for his kids as well. So he ended up taking over two towers for his prison cell. And he spent the rest of his days there in the Tower of London? He spent 15 years there until he could raise a £30,000 bail fee to be released. No wonder he was trying to make gold. Well, yes. He was trying to get a bail, <laughs> yeah. to get a bail fee. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the interesting version for why he was doing it. The, <laughs> the, the more boring reason for raising the money was he implemented proper management of his estates via sure. two auditors who had a house nearby. Um, but we can go with the alchemy. Um, and then when he was released, he basically wasn't allowed to return to Anik. A lifetime ban of Anik? A, a lifetime ban of the North. There's a, there was a popular medieval saying, the North knows no prince but a Percy. So it's an idea that the author Dan Jackson talks about in his book, The Northumbrians, which is really, really good. And he explains that the medieval North, or Northumberland at least, was Percy land with Percy laws, powered by the Percys with Percy money. So you take them out of there, you hopefully have a less rebellious group of Northerners. So if... Mm-hmm, makes sense. You've been in the tower for 15 years because your cousin, the constable of Anik, had been plotting to blow up the king and your father had been murdered in the Tower of London on suspicion of rebellion and his brother had been beheaded for rebelling and his father had been executed for rebelling and his brother had been a rebel and back and back and back. If you can keep the Percys out of the north, you might have an easier time as the king. They really are a type, the Percys, aren't they? They really just like to stick to character. They knew what they were after yeah. back then, certainly. Are there any other sort of Percys that didn't go the family route and try to do something a bit different? Some of the nice Percys. Yeah, the ni- are the nicer yeah. Percys? The, the ones who didn't fight and kill people. Um, yeah. There's one who's actually the daughter of the Wizard Earl, who I think is one of the most interesting characters in the whole thing. Her name's Lucy. Yeah, let's talk about Lucy. Yeah, so Lucy, born in 1600, and by the time she was five, her dad was in prison. So her mum brought her and her sister up and introduced them to the royal court, 
where she developed a sparkling wit and was very beautiful and was had a lot of suitors who were interested in her, one of whom was Scottish. And the wizard earl from prison in the Tower of London swore that, you know, he'd be dead before he danced a Scottish jig at his daughter's wedding. So <laughs> when she next went to visit him, he conveniently, conveniently arranged for her to stay with him. So she missed the ball that her suitor had thrown for her to try and impress and woo her. No. So this, Lucy, this guy, I will transform anything to it, anything, but not an English woman into a <laughs> Scot. That is alchemy gone too far. It's the attitude of the North. Um, (laughs) So Lucy missed out on that, but eventually this guy, James Hay, who was one of the favorites of the king, so had a lot of money behind him, bought a house right next to her and her mum and went over for dinner every night. And eventually they got married and the king went to the wedding, but the Earl of Northumberland wouldn't. Not just because he was in prison. Wow. So he missed it. Even the king is fine with it, but he's that... Set in his ways. He is. So she becomes the Countess of Carlisle. He gets out of prison and she stays in the royal court as his his daughter, but now the husband of the Earl of Carlisle. Her power grows and grows. When her husband dies, she sticks around, becomes one of the most important people in the court. She's got the ear of the queen. She's admired and loathed in equal measure. Meanwhile, she's got her circle of people who were frankly, a little bit obsessed with her. There's one quote from the time of a man who allegedly had to hire two other women to keep him happy because he could not distract himself from thoughts of Lucy. So it took two other women to try and distract him from her. Sure. sure. Yeah, sure. fair enough. Yeah, so... Um, so <laughs> two, two, two half Lucys. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't know... Do, do, do you reckon those women knew that that was the case? I think they did. I think he had hired them for that purpose. Let's so, just so say. They were, they were um, that sort of woman. They were. He was... Yeah, they were. And he was married and apparently could not think of his wife. He was married as well? Yeah, could not think of his wife because all he could think about was Lucy. <laughs> so he's a, Sorry, wife, but... I feel like I need to rent two whores out to stop the love stuff of this other woman. Yeah, it's, yeah. Did she stay with him? I, I, think. Um, I don't think she ever knew. I think these were written right, okay. in, his, in his private letters and have <laughs> since come out in history books 400 years later <laughs> where she can't do anything about it. But she should have left him because he is not a good man. No, he does um, not sound good at all. No, and as far as I know, Lucy was not aware of this either, but she was aware of the power she had over particularly men in the court. And she would use that as a woman in the 17th century to secure her own position. She never remarried. She kept up a coded correspondence with the queen in the 1640s when the royal family had to escape the country because civil war had broken out. Right, really, But she okay. kept up a coded correspondence with the other side of the war as well. And she was working both sides against each other as a double agent. Oh, wow. When you say coded, how do you mean? Do you mean like secret, like secret, like literal code? um, I think probably ciphers and illusions, but something that wouldn't have been obvious to people outside of that circle. And she'd done espionage before because in the 1620s, she'd been involved in some intrigue, apparently with the Duke of Buckingham and Cardinal Richelieu from France. And the stories of what Lucy Percy was doing on both sides of that equation are supposed to have been the inspiration for the character of Milady in The Three Musketeers. So she's a little bit, she's a little bit based on Lucy. So 
She's got this spying background. She ends up in the Tower of London, threatened with torture if she doesn't reveal the information she's been giving to the royal family. Her house gets ransacked and searched. She manages to avoid the torture. She's released and basically put on house arrest for the rest of her life, but still manages to keep up the secret correspondence with the royal family behind everyone's back. So she was, she was amazing. Never killed anyone, like all of the male ancestors in her family, but still managed to influence a whole lot of thing and had a really interesting life. Um, so uh, what happened to Lucy? How did she eventually end up? Did she just die of she, natural causes? She died age? happily in her old age. So What a life. Twe- she, she carried on kind of in the royal court right up until the time of Charles II in the 1660s. She did one year in his court, still apparently had the beauty, the wit, the vivacity that she had in her early life, and then she died the following year. So she was still at the top of her game right to the end of her life. Nailed it, Lucy. She did. Well, I think I know who my favourite Percy is. If you ask me, Lucy deserves a statue, blue plaque and a 10-part Netflix series. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Moving on, what kind of host would I be if I didn't counter the story of a brilliant woman with the story of an awful man? Sorry in advance. Tell me, why should I beware Carrots of Northumberland? Well, it depends if you are on a political opposition to Queen Anne. Uh, I am, yeah. Oh, you are? Well, in which case, beware. Be very aware. Um, And the reason you should beware is because one of Queen Anne's closest friends in the early 1700s, one of her closest confidants, was Lady Elizabeth Seymour, Baroness Percy, heiress to Annick Castle, Duchess of Somerset, and of red hair, apparently, according to Jonathan Swift, who was one of the poets employed by her political opponents to 
basically defame her and be derogatory towards her to make her look like she was less important than she actually so, was. So, so even back in those days, gingers are getting a tough time. In yeah, the it's yeah. In the it's playground fair, of the royal it? court. It's not fair at all, no. And it was particularly unfair to Elizabeth because she had had a tough life up to that point. I'm not just saying sort of tough in an aristocratic lady of the late 17th century kind of era, but by the time she was 16 years old, she'd been married three times. Two of her husbands were already dead. I think we can all agree that that's too many times for a 16-year-old. Yes. So her dad died when she was three. Her mother was not allowed to look after her. Why not? Because her, her grandmother, who was the widow of the 10th Earl of Northumberland, was determined to make sure the Percy line and the dynasty of that family continued. And if young Elizabeth went off with her mother, who was not a Percy by blood, then, you know, she's going to lose this great history. So the grandmother determines that she will marry Elizabeth off and the husband will take her name and her titles and the Percys will continue. So first husband, Elizabeth is 12. He's a little bit older. He's 16. They're too young to live together, but they are married. He's agreed to the conditions. Then he goes off to Europe to complete his education, gets ill, dies, doesn't come back. So she's now widowed. Widowed at 12. Second husband is a man from Longleat who is not aristocratic, but he's very wealthy and quite likes the idea, not of being a Percy, but of having all the Percy money. So the story goes that he abducts her, forces her to marry him with his private chaplain, and then tries to get hold of all the money. But Elizabeth manages to escape to the Dutch ambassador's house. Husband number two is walking along a bridge in London one day when he's assassinated by a group of guys from Sweden. What? We don't know who ordered it. We don't know who who ordered it. Well, the lead man was, um, sometimes he's called Königsmark and sometimes he's called Königsberg. But I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of the Swedish house mafia, but the Swedish bridge <laughs> mafia is a whole different level. Yeah, you don't cross them. No, you don't. Well, you don't or, or the bridges. bridges. Yeah. <laughs> Touche, uh, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah, so the head Swedish assassin managed to get off the charges because he was friends with Charles II. But that left Elizabeth Percy now with two dead husbands and she's 15 years old. It's a hell of a resume. Yeah, it's not looking great. She doesn't want to get married again. But meanwhile, she's, she still doesn't well, gonna, have an inheritance. Gonna, I was, uh, yeah, I was going to say. And, and also, at what point, how many husbands need to be killed or assassinated until future blokes start going, I don't think I, this, this is a, this is an unlucky woman here. I don't think I want to marry this one. This depends how greedy and unpleasant you are as a man, which is where husband of three comes into it. But before we get to him... She still hasn't inherited what she needs to inherit to keep the castle going because she is a girl. And 17th century law means without a male heir, you don't inherit it. So she needs a husband to take those names and those titles so he can inherit on her behalf. That's why this is all happening. It's all misogyny. It's all the patriarchy. Read the small print. It says here. It needed to be the smashed contract. then, as it does now. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, over in Dublin, a trunk maker called James Percy reckons he's got an in. Because it's called James Percy? Yes, no relation. Right. No, re- That's just coincidence. Well, that's not what he claimed. 
he went to the House of Lords and said that he was the great-grandson of Sir Richard Percy, who had fought in Ireland for Queen Elizabeth I. Had fought there, or was he making that up? A Richard Percy had fought in Ireland about 40 years before James was born. So for him to be his great-grandson, there'd have had to be some work put in. Sure. There was no proof that Richard had had any children, legitimate or otherwise, especially in Ireland, so James was sent packing. He came back the following year. Uh, pack, pack your trunk. Packing in his trunk, yeah. Um, yeah. The following year, he came back and said that he'd got it wrong. He was actually the great-grandson of Sir Ingram Percy. <laughs> um, That's balls, isn't it? Yep. Oh, hang on. No, excuse me. I got it wrong. <laughs> There's this whole new story now, but this is definitely legit. Yeah, because nice. like Sir, Sir Ingram Percy, he was the right date to be a great-grandfather. But he, too, had no record of any children, legitimate or otherwise. So back in his trunk, James went packing back to Dublin again. And then he came back a third time and said that he must be the Percy heir because he had the Northumberland Crescent, the Percy heraldic symbol, as a birthmark on the top of one of his legs. Oh, possibly just, on his bum. He's, he's only just remembered he had this. Yeah. And only a true Percy would have that birthmark. Sure. Yeah. I bet, I bet it was just a collection of random moles that looked semi like a shield or something. Funnily enough, the House of Lords did not buy this. Yeah, no, um, really. And was sick of James by this point and made him stand outside Westminster holding a sign saying, I am a false and impudent pretender. Oof. What the hell of the punishment? So that was the end of him, but his grandson did go on to be the mayor of Dublin. So they did all right. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Mayor of Dublin, you'll take yeah. that. So that's going on. And Elizabeth has still <laughs> got to find a third husband to make sure that she's the one, not a trunk maker from Dublin who inherits all of it. Right. So, and so she clearly does. Who is the third one? He is Charles Seymour, the Duke of Somerset, known as the Proud Duke. And proud, not in a, in a good way, not in a modern, nice, being proud of something way. In a, he's got an attitude and he's got an ego and he thinks he's a lot more important than he is. Right. So uh, why, is she, why is she even entertaining this guy? Just because out of desperation? Because she's still underage, technically. She's not reached her majority. She hasn't got the legal power to make her own decisions yet. So the grandmother is still pulling the strings and he has said he'll take the Percy name and resolve all these inheritance issues. So off they go. They sign the contract. And as soon as she's 21, which is the legal age of majority, he gets her to sign a whole new set of papers, signing everything over to him. Oh, um, and awful. as her husband, he's allowed to do that. I mean, they had a number of children. Uh, he was unpleasant throughout his life. The only reason people kept him around as a politician and as part of the royal court was because of how influential she was. So he was once refused a position, an important position in the royal court, went to his office on Horse Guards Parade and threw all of his desk furniture out of the window onto the ground below in a temper. He once cut £20,000 out of his daughter's inheritance because she sat down in a room where he was present. And he would get his servants, when he went out in his carriage, to clear the way ahead of him so that the gaze of the vulgar would never be upon him. Um, and they managed <laughs> the gaze to, of the vulgar. The gaze of the vulgar. And he managed to do that apart from one pig farmer who refused to move from the route and said, I will see him and my pig will see him too. <laughs> and then just this farmer and a pig just death stared him down. It's I amazing. hope they did. Because um, he was a completely unpleasant man. And that's it for this episode. This completely unpleasant man is off to play some Quidditch. 
And by that I mean, I'm going to the pub. Before I go, though, I have asked my producers to run ahead and clear Tottenham Court Road so the gaze of the vulgar won't be upon me. We'll be back in Anik Castle in a future episode, when we'll be hearing all about exploding kings and vampires. Until then, watch out for Swedish assassins, keep those artworks away from your crevices, and mind your manners. Thanks for listening to Bad Manners. If you like the pod, please share it with your friends. Rate it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and make sure you spill the tea on any of your favourite Bad Manners that we could feature in future episodes. This podcast was produced by Atomized Studios for iHeartRadio. It was hosted by me, Tom Horton. It was produced by Willa Malensky, Rebecca Rappaport, and Chris Attaway. It was executive produced by Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore, and our production coordinator is Bella Cellini. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.